We're back, the Whiskey Hue, a podcast from three brown startup enthusiasts that pull back the curtain on business, culture, and side pieces. <laughs> Not that type. We're talking blockchain, cybersecurity, e-games, and so much more. Without the bullshit, and most importantly, over whiskey. America calls Clyde Black, Athul Brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing middle. With three brothers, various shades of brown, bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups mixed with a ton of sarcasm all while sipping whiskey one cube real whiskey real talk cue the music that's where our other partner starts singing usually uh, but so okay let's jump in go ahead Clyde. welcome 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 to the whiskey hill we have a special episode today that's gonna be full of gems insights and so much more um, we like to bring great guests, and this is uh, one I'm very excited for today. Uh, Atul has introduced me to Ingrid He, who's um, you know a great person in the network. And you know, I'll just let Ingrid. Hello, Ingrid. How you doing? Tell me about yourself, and let our listeners know uh, some of the gems that you're going to be bringing to us today. Okay, so we're here talking about WeWork, but in my personal role, I'm working as the Director of Development at the Autoimmune Registry, which is focused on collecting, analyzing, and disseminating data related to autoimmune diseases in order to further research and raise awareness. And on the other side, I also have a startup called Shogun's Tracker, which is a symptom tracking app that I developed named after the particular disease, autoimmune disease I have called Shogun's disease. And there's a, currently a prototype of it out in the App Store and the Google Play Store. But I'm still working on improving features, developing new things, etc. Pretty amazing. Uh, thank you. We should have her chat with AG later. Cause our other co-host, he's actually in it. He's developing his app as well, a healthcare app. Ooh. Um, yeah. You may have chatted with him actually last year. I think I connected you guys. All right. Cue it up, Ingrid. Go ahead as I interrupt. And I'm going to introduce Matthew McManus. He is currently the Senior Director of Cybersecurity uh, for uh, at FTI, and he's worked at WeWork from October of 2018 to November of 2019 as WeWork's Senior Technical Program Manager, Manager in Information Security. In his role, he contributed to the development of an information security framework across WeWork's operations, infrastructure, and software security teams. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Good. Yeah, excited to be here uh, and excited to talk WeWork. It's been a little while since I've uh, left the organization, but it's always top of mind. Which means you are free to say what you want. Um, this is great. I'm just kidding. No, but give us a little more background if you like. Yes. Uh, so, so as Ingrid uh, said, uh, I've been a senior director in the cybersecurity consulting practice for FTI Consulting since I departed WeWork in November 2019. Uh, in that role, I do a lot of proactive assessment work with, with our clients uh, in cybersecurity and data privacy, and have also worked uh, numerous incident response engagements and, and complex investigations. Uh, prior to that, as, as Ingrid noted, I was a technical program manager at WeWork, and prior to that, I was a project manager on the information security program uh, for Planned Parenthood Federation of America, uh, helping to build out their global uh, national and global information security program. That's awesome. Um, and this whole thing came together because Clyde and I are hanging out doing our regular episodes. Ingrid uh, is, her and I collaborated on a project last year. So Ingrid, is, she was just recently graduated from Gabelli School of Business. Um, she's a lawyer as well. She didn't mention that. And All then she right, went back yeah. to school and became an, an MBA. She's launching an app. She's doing a lot of wonderful things. In the meantime, she was helping me 
I do, I was did this first class. I'm 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 a venture guy, an investing guy, and um, I did a first venture investing class at Gobelli this last semester in spring, and we put that Ingrid and I were collaborate on putting that whole class together and the slides together for us. So she was a treat to work with. And um, we did 15, 20 slide deck presentations. It was amazing. Yes, financing new media like ventures. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, it was great. So I really appreciate her. I respect and her valiant effort and all of this. And she, I, I look forward to seeing you crush it in life. And she, so you were so you were carrying uh, Thule. He was that way. Is what was what pretty much happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just called me LeBron James. He called you Dwayne Wade. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Use the goat right here. Wow. Anyway, so no, but, right. but she, we, this was supposed to happen on campus. Uh, we, we were going to have a couple we work, and she's she knew she knows I have a, like strong feelings pro, like for them, and uh, you know, and some other thoughts as well. So like it was going to be a great conversation. Couldn't do it then, so now we're back on the pod. Uh, so take it from there, Claude. So so Matt, you're you and Ingrid are a special guest today, and before we dive into your uh, you know experience at WeWork, tell us about yourself and kind of your evolution into where you are today certainly so i I graduated uh in 2011 from uh, university of notre dame with an economics degree and like many college graduates didn't really know what i what i wanted to do i (laughs) uh wanted to to be involved in in business and economics in some way and and sure enough went a career path having very little to do with that but but problem solving nonetheless uh, but I, I started out as a project manager for a electronic medical record vendor called Epic. Uh, some folks might have heard of it, and if you've been to the doctor in the last year, you've probably got a record in in their environment. And it was it was. So I I, I just want to say I don't mean to cut you off, but Epic is a cartel. <laughs> I just want to let you know they're a cartel. We know about Epic. Our AG, our business, uh, our, our whiskey partner, tell us about them all the time. But go ahead. Sorry. We'll, we'll definitely cover that on the next podcast because uh, I have plenty of, of thoughts on that as well. Uh, but it was it was there that I that I really got into um, the the both the security and privacy components of our, of our software, role based access control, privacy report, uh, uh, HIPAA compliance, and, and privacy reporting got to work with privacy officers and chief information security officers of major healthcare organizations, uh, decided in that time that, that I loved the cybersecurity field, um, found it an interesting combination of, of social and technical capabilities. Um, and it was during that time that I, I got connected to a few folks building out the uh, information security program at Planned Parenthood. And just saw that as a great organization to go work for, great people, great opportunity to continue my own skills in, in cybersecurity. And, and it just kind of went from there. Uh, there, knew a few people at WeWork that, that brought me to WeWork. And there's actually a couple of folks that I got connected to who have, who have strong ties to Fordham, actually, that, that brought me to FTI Consulting, uh, which, is, which is where I am today. Um, I'll, I'll note in, in cybersecurity and in consulting, um, we laugh when people talk about work-life balance, but we're definitely really good when it comes to talking cocktails. <laughs> I know FTI because no. yeah, it's a good, good group. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that introduction. And you know, I think uh, this exciting conversation is is one where we want to look at your broad-based view of your skills and what you what you've brought, especially during a tumultuous time. Well, some say a tumultuous time. Between 2018 and 2019, your exact periods of when you were 
uh, at WeWork. I think if you haven't seen it, you know, one of the shows that we uh, people have, have talked a lot about is We Crash. There's another one on Hulu. There's one on Apple. And there's probably a couple others in development. Uh, tell us about your experience during that time. Because it seemed like you were there at their height where, you know, one fun fact, it sounds like they were losing $219,000 per hour, we work that is, that they were in business during that time period. Definitely. And, and I'll note, while we were there, we knew that was the, the spending trajectory. Uh, and, and we were, you know, I'd say the, the company as a whole was, was racing to get to a scale where it would be able to achieve that that profitability. Uh, but certainly happy to, to discuss my, my time there. Uh, I'll note of my 10 plus uh, year professional career at this point, it definitely stands out as by far the most unique, interesting, exciting uh, part of, of my career for how unique of an experience it was. Um, you know, what I'll say about the, the teams I worked with, the, the individuals I worked with, there were, I've not worked with as many skilled and, and just really brilliant people all from, from different backgrounds. I mean, there were uh, product managers and developers from every big tech company, you name it, there were, there were individuals there that, that I was working with, uh, not only in security, but also on the, on the various product development teams. Uh, the the team that I worked on sat within the technology organization at WeWork, so WeWork was split into a few main uh, to to a few uh, key uh, functions. You know, there was there was real estate development, and then there was technology. And within technology, you had the the various tech product teams, and then you had information security because we had a large uh, software security portion of our team that works with the with the product developers but we also did corporate security and, and infrastructure security you know the, the information security at all of the office locations like networks and and uh, data data rooms mm -hmm. and things like that so at the time when you were sort of interviewing with them or in first working there were, was there like a real pitch on their part that this is a tech company <laughs> so i know there was yes 100 yeah. percent. there there was a drive See. There was definitely a drive to to really make WeWork like the the next Uber or or the Uber of a working space, and yeah. one of the only ways to achieve a, a true scale of a product like that on a on a global level was through adding the right layers uh, of technology through the the app, through the features within the office space. Um, there was the the company definitely at least the well I'll say this the, the company functioned and operated as if it were a tech company while simultaneously oh. operating as a real estate company and and I mm. it was it was a, not not so much a push pull but it was two two key concepts existing at the same time. And, and different, I'll say different functions racing ahead in those two areas. So the acquisition of, of office space and the design elements that go into that, into that and all of the physical products that, that go into that, that was, that was actually an area of the business 
I had very little experience with. And and I would imagine they wow. felt the same about the technology side of the business and the product and all the you know, you think about where where does technology come into play? The app getting into a WeWork space, room booking, uh, office booking, ordering services. Uh, the idea was that everything could be streamlined through the WeWork app. Something as simple. Would, uh, and Matt, and, and Matt, and Matt, you're burying the lead for sorry. the interview. The biggest, the, the biggest thing was you're supposed to get rich off of this when you're interviewed. <laughs> Well, on that, I'll, I'll say there were definitely there were definitely some numbers thrown about in the lead up uh, that that uh, didn't come to fruition, and uh, you know that hmm. was I always looked at that as pure upside. Uh, I viewed it as it was an exciting organization to work with, a great team to be on, uh, and and opportunities for for me to develop myself working on a on a working in an organization on a truly global scale. Uh, and and anything related to stock, I always viewed as that will be that will just be a cherry on top of this of this whole experience. So you're already rich. I was, so you're already I was rich. That's just rich on you're already. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I really wanted to know. I really wanted to know that angle because I, you know product market fit clearly there, right? It's needed. It's one of the best resourced. Uh, let's say, like you know, you know, Myosushan from uh, SoftBank came in and overdid it, and then Andrew, and Adam Noon was the perfect. Uh, mentee for someone like Son, right from <laughs> SoftBank, because he had this glorious "let's go over over ambitious and let's let's build you up," and he became such as well. He was that he was a layer below, then he became same. Now, you mentioned Uber, right? So they both want you know they wanted to become the Uber of the co-working industry. So 10, 12 years post-launch, neither has returned like a positive ROI for their uh, you know the first first in right for the it's not a self-sustaining business model yet. That's okay. That's okay. It's part of the game. What Uber is doing, you know, they're still VC investor back. That's how they're sustaining their business model. What Uber is doing is they're opening up new lines, getting new revenue from VCs like monkeys like me thinking, oh, that's a smart thing. Let's throw money at them again. And that's self-sustaining business across all the lines. How's WeWork playing in this space? Because they're not doing that. They had like a $47, $50 billion valuation, you know, when they were thinking about IPOing a couple of years back. I always said that's too much, but as a four, five billion, six billion dollar company valuation makes perfect sense, right? Which is where they're at. They're under sub four billion right now. They were, you know, they were 10, 12 billion a couple months back, uh, before the market did, did what it's doing now. But jump into that for a moment. So they, Uber is legitimately tech. Tech enabled, right? Tech enabled, you get into something that's very short term rides. You're looking at a long term lease. It's still real estate play. I would say 80, 90% of it's still real estate, 10% tech layer. Can we go there? Can we see that? Or you push back. You're the cybersecurity guy here. So I, I do think a key difference between WeWork and any of the tech companies it was trying to emulate was that real estate component. And you, you cannot. You cannot scale that through an app. Every new office is going to require yeah. new office space, new leases, desks, uh, you know, coffee machines, yeah. staff servicing the bathrooms, all of that stuff. Where Uber can enter a new market, certainly there's 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 regulatory. They're they're the drivers. That seems to be yeah. Uber's core issue with cost right now, but nothing on the scale of of all of the physical space. And, and equipment um, that that we work needed, so I don't think it could ever scale 
the way that a traditional tech company views itself as, as, oh, we're going to hockey stick because we're going to scale with incredible margins mm-hmm. because our, our, our marginal costs are just going to continue to shrink. Where I think the, the technology aspect of it came into play is the idea of we could push marginal costs down through efficiencies and, and also as a driver of, of more recurring usage of, of the facilities. So, you know, operate with fewer mm-hmm. staff because sensors alert to when service is needed. Have a more on-demand uh, model um, so that there's, there's less having to walk around. Have the, the social networking component, almost a professional social networking component. So you're even taking what WeWork brings you out of just the office space, right? And, and even some of their acquisitions Perfect. going into something like, like uh, I believe it was Spacious, where now you're, you're taking the idea of I, I, not only do I work for my company, but I work in a network of professionals who are always available to help each other. You're just expanding that different arenas. And, and some of their acquisitions, I thought strategically yeah. – made a lot of sense for continuing to expand the the concept of, of at what point am I in the WeWork network, right? And I think technology was a way to enable that in a way that, that other co-working spaces have not been able to take advantage of. Um, One of which, which I thought was genius, was a meetup. Meetup was an integration that fit really well with the WeWork kind of experience and creating a holistic view of work life. You know what happens after a lot. What happens after work? Um, and you know, you talk about those integrations. I thought that was one yeah. that, that stood out to me. And I was, was going to say it's, it's great that you ahead. bring that one up because that that's actually a, a really good point. And and one of the core things I, that I always thought WeWork really hit the nail on the head conceptually. We'll talk execution later, but like when you think of a of an automobile, ninety percent of the time it sits idle. It's just a wasted utility. So the idea of, of Uber mm, is that yes. now you have this uh, this this um, item that is constantly in use. It is never sitting idle. Yeah. Think about how much office space is idle post five p.m. and especially nowadays with with you know most uh, most office spaces being. You know, part-time or, or hoteling, the idea is how do we leverage that space when it's not being used for for professional uh, reasons? And and I, I thought Meetup was not only itself a a great company uh, and and sort of idea on its own, uh, but it it brought you know we were contributed to it all of the physical space. And in, in fact, when I worked there uh, and had global access, there were a few times when I I hosted events for for friends and family in the city where we we would think to ourselves let's not try to find a crowded spot at a, at a restaurant where we all have to sit around a table i'm i'm just going to reserve out mm. one of our we were common spaces for the evening and we'll order a bunch of pizzas yeah. and and we'll all hang out and the the usage of the space and and even coming back to the cost discussion how can we drive the marginal cost of the space down by ensuring it's constantly being used. And so I thought that was another another great idea. And the last thing I'll, I'll say on that is, is you know, I, I do always come back to the idea. I think 
the the core concept around WeWork, a global office space, is 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 brilliant and just as as something mm. like Uber has revolutionized transportation. Uh, some something like WeWork has and will continue to revolutionize office space. You know, if I'm a business, I'm a business I traveler. Agree. The idea that I can show up in any major city on earth and just like now where I can order a taxi and I don't have to figure out all of the all the rules and the and the nuances city by city I have my one uh, WeWork card that I know I have an office wherever I, I need to be I, and I, yeah I want to say one thing and I want Ingrid to jump in after this uh, right, she sure. has a point but, but Matt, Matt what you said is just it's perfect right there is a need for this and the, what the cool thing that they have we've been comparing and contrasting them against Uber Uber has a lot of those regulatory issues that they're going to have to clear up now they're in now they're involving taxis the, the group that they went after in New York City they're now involving them you can book them via their app right they're having to play ball with a lot of other plays WeWork isn't a danger to anybody Maybe the investors. <laughs> That's it, right? And they can once they recalibrate that, it could be a fine play. And I think all the things you're mentioning, there's a tremendous amount of value add. And with the sensors and all, like you said, it's like a Soho. I I was a member of Soho Club like back in the day. And then we work. I did. I mean, I've been to a ton of meetings. I don't know if I was ever a member, but the spacious I was for one summer. I tried it just to see what it was like because we were thinking about investing at one point. And I like the idea, but then you're in a restaurant. I think it was the one, and sometimes there's like flies hanging out. You're like, this is kind of disgusting because they're cleaning the restaurant during the day, uh, you know, whatever it is. But it was a, I like the direction of WeWork. There's a, there's a need for it. And I think what, exactly what you said, all the acquisitions they're making, some of them are aqua hires, right? They're getting the talent from there and then incorporating them. We're going to ask you about that in a moment. But I want Ingrid to jump in with a thought here for a second. Yeah, and I just want to comment that it's especially relevant now that post-pandemic, most people are used to working at least a couple of days from home or at a office near home, at least. But I was curious, at the time you were at um, WeWork, there were a number of acquisitions in 2019. So when you first joined WeWork, were there sort of a technical setup infrastructure yet, or were they just acquiring them at that point ahead of the valuation to try to boost the appearance of uh, WeWork as a tech company that could be valuable. Yes. Uh, so there was an infrastructure to onboard acquisitions, and, and I actually was one of the representatives for information security within the due diligence review process. Uh, so hard, hard to imagine there actually was a, a mature wow. pre-acquisition due diligence process, as well as a post-acquisition uh, integration process. I will say from a pure technology standpoint. So we, we had the ability wow. to, to make sure, okay, this, this new tech environment is coming in from a security standpoint, we need to make sure they continue adhering to our various controls so we need we need uh, endpoint protection or, or antivirus on all of their all of their laptops they are going to need to adhere nice. to the same standards so there was there was an element of that i would say was it a hectic year for you oh it was incredibly hectic and <laughs> I, I would say the strategy yeah. around acquisitions the timing of them that was, I'll just say there's definitely a less chaotic way to announce 
the income, the the onboarding of an acquisition and getting them acclimated and defining what will be the role of that new organization in relation to the other roles at, at the organization. So while a lot of the acquisitions made sense, if you think about them strategically, they weren't all wave generation companies, right? Some of the acquisitions were, were great ideas, but the strategic thought of how do they all fit into our overall product environment? How are we going to take, you know, to take a team, for example, which which did a lot of room booking work? Mm. How are we going to integrate that into our WeWork app to actually be able to leverage globally? Those are the types of projects that never really turned into anything. Mm. Uh, because there was really no thought on how are we truly going to integrate the acquisition in. We were able to take them in infrastructure-wise, and so now they're they're employees. Yeah. They they do their thing, but but where it fit in the grand scheme, not well not well executed. And you know what? And I'll say one thing because I want Clyde to get jump in here too. You're you're making the perfect point. Now what they were doing, they were growing at all costs. Yeah. So they were trying to acquire. They were flush with cash. They were flush with cash, right? To get the uh, that's, that's how SoftBank, yeah, SoftBank operates that way. And they're like, go overpay because we can make that back once. And they're going to put that on your team to figure that out, right? Uh, how all these things work internally. But that's they're doing what typically VC folks do, which is why they're pushing for that tech play because that gets you an increased like a four or five X multiple versus a real estate play. Right. It's exactly it. Um, you bring some great points. Clyde, you get some too. No, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that floored me, I like to get to the money and think about, yeah. uh, how that impacted everything. Biggest number. That's a couple of big numbers stood out to me. 1.7 billion. That's originally what, uh, that's Adam was, uh, reported to be paid out. I think when it all netted out, he ended up only being paid out nine hundred million or so. So uh, poor, poor <laughs> to, to, to walk <laughs> to walk to walk away. Uh, but then also the amount of money that was invested to build up the company. You talked about having the money to invest and buy other companies. I think the number that I've seen, um, SoftBank invested around seventeen billion alone, in addition to other venture capital companies as well. So so Matt. You know, been in the space, you know, for the time that you're in, tell us a story about spending money, investments or something that, you know, when you when you when you look back at it now, you either shake your head or you say, you know what, that was a good move. Well, look, it's certainly looking over the last few months, I, I'm quite happy I've not invested heavily in crypto, uh, although I I truly believe in blockchain technology uh however the the level of effort it would take to play the the crypto game i I, i'm quite happy i've not invested heavily in it although uh my my wife and i would would agree we we should have (laughs) sold all of our dogecoin before elon musk went on snl Um, yeah exactly yeah it did crush right then but i i do i do try to in, in terms of investments and spending i mean I, I take the view of I try to be as boring as possible. Uh, no, no enormous upside, but no enormous downside either. Uh, you, well, not your investments, oh, oh, yes. but just thinking so, about WeWork. Yeah, we work. We work specifically like 
what was something that you saw? I mean, and give us a story. I love to hear about, you know, maybe maybe they're... Insider yeah, information only. Insider information story. only. I was playing. <laughs> yeah, so certainly yeah, a exactly. level of extravagance. Um, we had a... Uh, so there was a yearly summit that, that we work held in addition to the yearly summer picnic that, that gets all the attention mm. in the, the documentaries and, and the series. And uh, while I never got to attend a summer picnic because I, I started at WeWork after the last summer picnic occurred, I did get to go to the strategic summit, which was a little more corporate in, in feel. It was in Los Angeles. It was in uh, January 2019. And uh, we had reserved the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles for a multi-day, uh, you know, development event. And it was really, I mean, it was a glorified marketing pitch from, from senior leads to its own employee base. So the whole purpose, I, I didn't really understand, but as someone on the East coast can't turn down a trip to the West coast, uh, we had a private concert by the red hot chili peppers, which was oh, great. Nice. Um, and they shut down uh, Universal Studios for the night just for for WeWork, and that's probably the best experience at a at a theme park I've ever had. And to be honest, the whole time I'm thinking this this has to be a little expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they're very good at being like the yeah. cool kids, making everything seem Which, really. Oh, I was bragging to all yeah. of my friends that that week. It happens a yeah. lot in VC oh, back yeah. companies, but the, we try you try to dial it back. Now it's it's definitely getting dialed back. Last couple of years was a nut show, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because there's so much money capital flowing around. Um, you, Clyde, yeah. you alluded to that 1.7, and that was J.P. Morgan was kind of the poor. They they you know Diamond kind of backed that whole thing because he got a consulting fee out of it. And he had a credit line which was guaranteed. So it's it's insane. But he was incredible. His lawyers were incredibly sharp setting up his exit strategy, <laughs> right? Um, and it could have been even higher, but I think uh, SoftBank ended up not acquiring half the shares or something like that. That were part of his exit play, but he still crushed it at a billion. Yeah. And and on that, you know, there the, one of the things I, I often think about, and this is where this is where my you know I'm I'm a little disappointed in in the WeWork story. You know, I said at the beginning, a lot of smart people working there, right? A lot of people working hard to to actually turn this this organization into something. And frequent discussion of will we will will we turn this in to successful company before it's destroyed at the top, or will that happen first? And oh, and wow. the even the the senior leadership of of that company also incredibly talented people with with great backgrounds. We had we had a sharp CFO. We had we had. Uh, folks from Apple, from Amazon. I mean, we had executives that were that were mm-hmm. top notch, and the speed at which the whole thing fell apart in September 2019. Everyone knew leading up to the IPO, we're we bleed cash. Yeah, we're we're in a race against time to achieve a certain level of of say stable revenue to avoid going off a cliff. But the the senior leadership I think had gone into had gone into this project 
of WeWork with with uh, Adam Newman with very little personal risk, right? They mm. they were walking away from that mm. whether it went off the cliff or 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 took off or hockey sticked, right? right? So I think for a lot of the the senior leads and and the the individuals who are really in a position to prevent overspending or, or at least you know raise their hand and say we, this this is not a, this is not a, a solid strategic path they had very low risk but but all upside so they could go along for the ride and if it crashed they would mm. they would get off just like most of them did and i think yeah. that's the disappointing part i think there was a lot of opportunity for a lot of smart people including some of the the names you, you've mentioned here to to raise their hand before things got too bad uh, right, so two, and that part's two disappointing. Years on, two, two years ago on the pod, I remember saying on this whiskey who pod, I remember saying, you know, thank God they didn't go at that time early when you were there into a spec type of to the public markets at that time. They ended up going at a spec later, but that because with the spec, you it's you're, you're formed into a shell. There's no due diligence or a lack of right. Um, luckily, there was able to it's, someone filed a report that was released. Then people started looking at this. This makes no sense. The numbers don't make sense. So this fifty dollar valuation, fifty billion dollar valuation makes zero sense. They went through all of that and then came out at the right valuation. I think they are at a healthy valuation. They could increase as they grow, but th- they're at the proper place right now. I think so. Thank God. But they ended up going at a spec. Uh, a, a, a secondary note to that we said on the pod also that okay he's a he's a brilliant so maybe he's not adam newman's not so great at execution but he's great at setting up bylines to keep getting himself paid <laughs> right because uh, he set up all like he was he was buying buildings and then leasing them back to we work he had all these things great none of this is illegal immoral potentially but not illegal right we said hey he's such a sharp guy a visionary which is what you want monkeys like me fall for salesmen like him all the time right you're like oh this guy knows he's on let's invest in him and we said next company he launches he's gonna get funded easily if as long as it makes a slimmer of sense and guess what he has right there's that car we were talking about it like that it's a blockchain based a carbon dioxide whatever it is that carbon neutral type of thing and it's and Dreesen Horowitz, uh, he, this, you know, Mark and Dreesen went to my undergrad several years before I did, but he's one of the people I look up to just for that. He created Netscape and all these things. One of the best venture groups in the world. They're the leading backers of this, right? So he has, again, phenomenal people in play. Might be a more calibrated entry into the market, but, you know, he has backers again and high profile ones. It's just, he's amazing. He's a great salesman execu- execution. Let's hope. People help him better around this time. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's such a great salesman that if you're an early investor, you would get in because you would expect he could That's bring exactly in more it. money That's, for an early investor. They're still getting paid, you, right? The early investors are still getting money, right? Yeah. Uh, you hit that on the point. Yeah. Well, we just don't know if he'll stay long enough for the execution of this blockchain based carbon trading thing. Because for something like that, operations and execution is going to be very difficult and it's going to be like key. He's probably not interested I have in that. To, I agree. I have to imagine the early investors on on that new project. Well, I don't know how it's doing in the last in the last few weeks, but I have to imagine they have a plan to to get out early enough, uh, and and that one probably does not have the same scale yeah. issues that that WeWork did. But I, I do yeah. think it it does point to some fundamental issues in in the VC market. Where, where I think there's, I think the market is fundamentally broken. So I, I think we assume, we assume market forces will not allow a, a company to grow to a certain size where it's so, whether whether it's over leveraged 
or it's taken on too much risk or it, it's it's too it, it's not solvent the the risk the risk appetite or even the how the these early funders can hedge their risks they're able to make decisions that by any sane economist mind are completely irrational but they've sure, hedged it sure. enough that it doesn't matter to them and it's it really is just the the last few in are the ones that get stuck it's gro- and it's the retail folks that end up holding the bag at the end of the day if it does make it to the public markets now right. you or the front line right employees. there so Sure. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Uh, Because, of course, they were promised or optimistic about these potential options that were going to be triggered and none of that materialized for them. He gets paid walking out the door, almost two bill. Then it came down to a billion, which that had to hurt, I imagine. So he was he was an enabler, but so was Mayoshi son, right? Masayoshi son. He was SoftBank. He's done some incredibly crazy things. Phenomenal bets early on. Alibaba, some, you know, he's done some great things there. Did some other deals, but then this this one was a you know, an odd one. And his thing was growth at all costs. And just to give you a sense of his character, he took a, a similar deal. He took a deal to Uber. Let's compare them again. And he said, "I'm going to give you." They, let's just say that the number is, "I want Uber want asked for ten million. He said, "I'm going to give you a billion, the equivalent of something like irrational, right?" He said, "I'm going to give you this, and if you don't take it, I'll go to Lyft." That's the way he dealt with companies, this irrational behavior. And then it's reset the tone for us, the rest of us in the venture market, because we had to then start playing ball with that. Many of us couldn't, right? Uh, so then we had to do a lot of joint ventures and all of this. But that's the way he played. He, and then he enabled Adam Newman, and Adam Newman took it and said, "I'm, you know, the come to moment," and did it. <laughs> so, he upped yeah, the stakes yeah. for all of you. Now you have um, to like. Clyde, you got something you want to jump in? So, Matt, your perspective of working with the organization had a lot of great people, great product. It just didn't end the right way. Would you work for Adam <laughs> again? Absolutely not. Uh, not no no chance. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, as, take, okay. as great as the year was was working there, and, and it, it, the there was just a lot of of chaos because, like I said, the the strategic direction was non-existent, and so when that when that tries mm-hmm. to flow down into the organization, I, I believe a good word in the in the tech space is thrash. I, I mean, there was so much thrash. <laughs> I, I mean, you'd oh, come man. across product teams. And like multiple product teams trying to do the exact same thing, and and different VPs saying, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna implement this because that's just what they wanted to implement." You know, they did their time at Apple or Spotify or wherever, and then they get come to WeWork with, "Oh, now you're gonna be able to be in charge of a whole team and do whatever you want." You multiply that by a hundred VPs, and it's it's just pure chaos. So that, to the point where you have different teams testing different sensors wow. now sitting under your desk are like three sensors because you don't even want to agree on well what sensor are we going to use and then and then get oh, and get all the the relevant data from it and do it do what we need from it right just it, it was it was a fun year and and for me personally low risk because it you know in in information security and in technology it's you're in demand enough so you can you can you know like I said with the executives you can kind of go along for the ride for a little bit, and I made great friends. But for for such a nice work life balance, it was so frustrating 
because just <laughs> the the chaos. It's 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 a little unbearable at times. And how many months in did you start seeing? Hey, there's a crack here. I got to get the heck out of here. When was that? Because you left within 13 oh. months. So when it must have been seven, eight months I in. Mean, to to be honest, I had my my hesitancies from like before I started. I, <laughs> I there were definitely. It, it's actually it, you know it is funny that that you ask that. Unrelated to the tech component of this, I st- what I started at WeWork October of 2018. What happens a few weeks before I start? You had in in early October you had the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, and and that brought to light. I think that was the first time the public really got a view of of Saudi wealth fund money being propagated throughout these global companies and and where was the whoa we're en- we're entering somewhere we don't need to be hey, Matt, I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding uh, but but no so so even not only with that. There was there were stories about community adjusted EBITDA. You know those those were floating around before mm. I started. I knew it wasn't a profitable company. Um, you know, and and I loved the job I had at at Planned Parenthood before I left. So so even I'd say even pre day one, I I had hesitancies, and and within a few weeks, interesting, a lot of them were were uh, coming to light or coming to life. Uh, and, and so it was a, it was a hectic 13 months. Uh, it was in, in many ways exhausting, um, including all of the, all of the after work happy hours, just an all around exhausting year. Wow. <laughs> so a lot of the, sorry, a lot of the higher level people knew that there was a great risk, but there was just there was just a small chance that all these talented people together could that's, pull it off, but they just – That's exactly in. it. Plus, it was so low risk. Tiny chance that we make it work. Yeah, because I was but, wondering – As yeah, we knew, we were, we were in a car driving towards a cliff. And ladies and, 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 ladies oh, and gentlemen, wow. that's, that's, that's called a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're propping it up hoping you can get to the top. But, you know, I, I think we've had a great conversation with you, Matt and Ingrid. You know, thanks for diving in with us on the Whiskey Hill. But, you know, the most important part of our show is talking about the whiskey, mm-hmm. right? We talk business, tech, and culture already. Um, so I want to let our guests dive into the whiskeys that they brought to the show. And we're going to say cheers to the conversation. So, uh, Ingrid, kick it off for us. I've got the Glenlivet 12. It's from, right, I'm not a whiskey expert, but it's from my friend who... Says a lady who's old in an empty bottle right now. I <laughs> trust she has good taste. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty empty, Ingrid. It is pretty I'm empty. Like, you can get a glass, right? Don't take it straight to the... <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> um, okay, how about you, Matt? Uh, I'm, I'm going with my Macallan 12 this evening. That's, that's my mm. go-to nice, okay. sippable uh, drink. Uh, but I will say I'm a big fan of, of the old-fashioned, although I don't... Don't use the Macallan 12 for that. Yeah, good. Any cool story you have on them, either of you, like around your drinking escapades? Let's go. Insider stuff. I'm kidding. But any cool story you've had over scotch or why that's your go-to? Matt, so, go ahead. Uh, I, Matt, go for it. I actually got into to whiskey and scotch uh, mostly at the start of the pandemic. Prior to that, I, I probably drank beer a, a little more frequently. Uh He's like Anthony. He's the Anthony for this episode. <laughs> Do you like a good IPA? Uh, but I did have uh, – I kept a, a bottle of uh, 
I, of of whiskey. It was one of the Game of Thrones branded whiskeys. I kept that in my desk at uh, at my spot at WeWork, and we uh, we we polished that off in a few days. Um, and that that was a frequent activity of ours. Someone would would bring something in, and we'd work um, on that after quick, work. Quick edit. So he was not. He didn't leave. He was fired. Apparently, I'm kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're drinking at work. You're drinking on the job. I like it. <laughs> Clean us up, Clyde. Clean us up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So that 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 whiskey you're referring to is the uh, yes. the Tom Walker Ice. <laughs> is it good? Yes, I know Tasty? exactly what you're talking about. Game of Thrones. Um, I would say yeah, I like it. I'm a Johnny Walker fan. You would probably talk I, I about would, me. I will. I'll make funny. But uh, Matthew, you're a fan of it. You, yeah, it's good to you. Yeah, yeah. So I say this. This is before I I got into to to whiskeys as I, as I am now. But I I very much enjoyed. He said before I had the. He said interesting. Okay. Good there you go. There you go. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a special episode. Uh, I want to thank Ingrid and Matt uh, for joining us, giving us a deep dive, and ask, letting us ask a couple of questions. I do want to say I know his career hasn't been defined by these, you know, short few months. But you know, thanks for pulling back the curtain for us. I think we work is one of those areas where you know a lot of people are interested about it. Were you able to share an inside point of view and? And Ingrid, thanks for asking and bringing such great questions to the conversation. So uh, thank you for joining the Whiskey Hue. We appreciate you. Tell all your friends to listen to us. And uh, thank you. Like we always like to say, peace. Thank you.